Worlds governed by artificial intelligence often learned a hard lesson. Logic doesn't care. Welcome you back to another episode of Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ryan Mazzocco. I'm Ethan Maestri. This week we are recording live from the bottom of the ocean on Machin Alpha. We've got a bit of a situation. Not a good one. No. We've descended to the bottom and uh, the pressure is just too much. We've got water coming in and uh, I don't see any way out of this. I'm, I'm sorry to say I think this is going to be our last show. Um, and why is that, Ethan? Would you like to tell us? Well, one of us neglected to put in an extra EVA suit. It was one of us, and it wasn't me. I said I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I said I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's the situation. Yeah, so only one of us is going to get out of this. And uh, So I, tune in next week. <laughs> I, I, can't, I, can't, uh, I can't imagine doing this show with anyone else. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So it looks like this is this is going to be uh, it for us. So are you falling on your sword, or am I being asked to fall on my sword? I'm, I don't know. That we've we've got plenty of time to work that out. Okay. I'm just saying. Either way, only one of us is getting out of this, and the other is not going to carry on. Well, the, show. the water level's rising, and we've still got a show to do. Okay, let's let's get to it then. All right. All right. So anyway, yeah, this is episode 28, all too human. Okay, real quickly, do you have some trivia? Yeah, we, we got to get this moving. We can buzz through okay. this right quick here. So as far as trivia goes, well, I just wanted to, to mention that this is an episode that was written by the duo Zach Stentz and Ashley Edward Miller. And these guys have a, a propensity for doing action episodes. And so that is, uh, that is what we get to see in this particular episode, All Too Human. So it's good to see them uh, on the writing staff again for this show. I wanted to make mention of a couple of the guest stars that we had. Roger R. Cross, he played Agent Carter. I'm using air quotes for agent. <laughs> it, it does not seem like we have a lot of Agent Carters in fiction. Yeah, I it think so. It like we do have a lot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we have this particular Agent Carter uh, played by Roger, Roger R. Cross. Now, interesting about his career, he played in 1993 a, a recurring role throughout a season of The Commish. Wow! Right. He played Officer Terry Cooper in in, in the uh, that was the thir- second to last season before the bike. I think did I say that right? No, it's it, the show went off the air in ninety five. I think this was ninety three. So two seasons before the end. Are you asking me or telling me? I'm, I'm working it okay. out in my head. So anyway, yeah, he played the recurring role of Officer Terry Cooper in the Commish. So good to see him in that role, and then now here in Andromeda. He was also in the X-Files, Stargate SG-1. He played a very similar-sounding name in the X-Men 2 movie, Oval Office Agent Cartwright. Okay. <laughs> so I thought that was an interesting little detail. Cartwright. Yeah. He played Major William Shaw in the series Eureka in its final season, which that's where... As I'm watching him on the screen, watching this episode of Andromeda, I'm thinking, this guy looks familiar. Well, I love Eureka. And so it was great to see Major William Shaw from Eureka in a little bit of my Andromeda. So that was great. He also is uh, credited with additional voices. I'm using air quotes again. 
in uh, the video game Bioshock Infinite. And he's currently appearing in the series Arrow and in sci-fi's Dark Matter. Then, too, we have Bruce Harwood. And he played Philip Kim for this episode. Now, Bruce Harwood is somebody that immediately when I saw him, I'm like, yes, he's familiar. And I think he's from the X-Files. And I was absolutely, absolutely correct. He had a brief recurring role as Willis on the television series MacGyver. But he's most famous for playing John Fitzgerald Byers in The X-Files and then later uh, in that same role in the spinoff, The X-Files spinoff, The Lone Gunman. And so we get to see him here uh, in an episode of Andromeda. He also is appearing currently in episodes of Psych and The Flash. So great to see those two guest stars uh, for this episode. Okay. And that's all I've got. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't help but notice that throughout your trivia, that I, I kept hearing a noise. Well, the water is coming up around my leg here, and it, a little bit of the seawater has gotten into my knee joints. And, uh, yeah, there's a little servo noise there. Sorry about that. Servo noise? Mm-hmm. Are you an android? You were not aware of that? No, I did not know that. Well, yeah. Yeah, I am... I am... An android. So then this... I, I, I this, thought you this, knew that. No, this water is not going to hurt you. You can survive this. You know, I didn't even think about that. Okay, I'm taking the EVA suit. Issue settled. Problem solved. All right, so I guess our situation is not that critical. Uh, you want to just go ahead with the recap then? Yeah, we got time, so okay. let's go in into All right. it. All too human. After getting an introduction to Trance's post-tail wardrobe, we find Rami on assignment and she, too, is sporting a rather attractive ensemble, similar to something straight out of The Matrix. She's on a secret mission to extract engineer Philip Kim from the planet Machin Alpha. Of course, if it were up to Tyr, they would just extract the data he possesses and then leave the husk of the man behind. Oh, Tyr, what a humanitarian you are. And now for a little exposition. Machin Alpha is proving to be a threat to the stability and, in fact, the survival of some member worlds of the New System's Commonwealth, specifically the planet Mobius. Machin Alpha had a rather troubled past with artificial intelligence. Many moons ago, after the fall of the first system's commonwealth, artificial intelligences were placed in control of Machin Alpha, which worked fine until logic took over. That's right. AI decided that the best way to manage things was to completely control the populace. We don't really have to spell out the details, because, hey, it's a controlling AI. And if there's anything that Gene Roddenberry or virtually every other sci-fi writer has taught us... It's that controlling AI are very, very bad. The population remaining on Machin Alpha led a successful rebellion against the AI intelligence controlling them, and they are now free again. One of the weapons they developed to fight against the AI threat was the Basilisk, a planet-killing spaceship that seems to incorporate Magog technology. Now, with the AI haters of Machin Alpha threatening Mobius, Dylan and crew are going to have to deal with the Basilisk, thus their interest in Philip Kim one of the Basilisk's top engineers. Rami is meeting with Kim when they are interrupted by government security forces. Rami proceeds to extract themselves from the situation by thoroughly thrashing the security personnel, taking multiple hits in the process and dropping 42 stories to the street below. It's at this point that Kim realizes that she's an AI and begs not to be killed. Pursued by Agent Carter of the security force, he realizes too that she is an AI. With help from the Maru, which is hiding out under the water just off the coast where Rami is, she is able to evade patrols in order to make her way toward an extraction point. But security detects the Maru with Tyr, Harper, and Rev aboard. They try to flee, 
but are hit and sink into the ocean's depths. Dylan, Becca, and Trance are monitoring the situation in orbit, but when they learn that the basilisk is moving ahead of schedule, they have to abandon the sinking Maru and move out to intercept. Cut off from the Maru and Andromeda, Rami expresses concern for her friends. This surprises Kim, and he gives Rami the information that she needs. Upon review, Rami learns that the Machians are using technology from a Magog swarm ship located on the planet. She insists that Kim take her to the swarm ship. Kim balks, claiming that security is tight, but isn't it always. Rami is sure that she can deal with it, and so Kim agrees to show her the way. Andromeda engages the Basilisk's escorts, but the Basilisk returns fire with its point singularity projector. Aboard Andromeda, they conclude that the Magog are providing the technology in order to set the worlds against each other to soften them up for the arrival of the world ship. Underwater, Rev and Tyr are trying to figure out how to keep themselves afloat, a task made difficult by the fact that Harper has incapacitated himself by overdosing on his Magog larvae medication. Rev comes up with a plan, a pretty good plan for a preacher man. Flood the ship and use the air circulation system to push the Maru to the surface. But there is one caveat. Rev's survival isn't an issue, but with only one EVA suit available for use between Tyr and Harper, one of them may have to be sacrificed. Considering Tyr's Nietzschean nature, we can all guess what decision he's going to make. Poor Harper is going to have to sleep with the fishes. Rami's plan is to steal the swarm ship from the Machinites, but before they can break in, they are attacked by Carter's security agents. Rami is able to dispatch the force, but not before Kim is shot down. Rev refuses to help Tyr if it means sacrificing Harper. Tyr claims that Harper is suffering from Magog infestation, so it would make little sense to save him at Tyr's expense. He also claims that he could simply shoot Harper, and the whole conversation would be academic. Rev notes that while he could shoot Harper, he has not done so yet. And then, to the surprise of us all, Tyr gives Rev the EVA suit to put on Harper. He'll count on hypothermia and his Nietzschean physiology to preserve his brain function long enough for Rev to revive him when they reach the surface. Andromeda attacks and destroys the Basilisk. They divert the point singularity bullets that were already heading towards Mobius by opening slipstream portals in their path. These portals may have caused disruptions on the planet, but it is safe from destruction. They return to Machin Alpha, hoping it's not too late for Rami or the Maru. Carter contacts Rami via the VR matrix and finds her initiating a reactor overload, shutting down the power grid, communications, etc. The building where the swarm ship is stored is being evacuated and Rami moves in with Carter in pursuit. As Rami and Carter begin to fight, matrix style, she discovers that he too is an android. He stayed on Machin Alpha after the revolution to try to atone for the past. He believes that Rami will destroy Machin Alpha after she takes the ship, because it's the logical thing to do, and she cannot convince him otherwise. In the end, Rami has to destroy Carter with an overloaded force lance, then shuts down the reactor to prevent it from overloading. Good news! Rev's plan worked! With the Maru back on the surface and Harper still breathing air, Rev revives Tyr just as Rami arrives in the swarm ship to tow them back to the Andromeda. Back on board, Harper tries to express his gratitude to Tyr for saving him, but Tyr does not want to hear it. For her success on the mission, Dylan gives Rami his awarded medal, the Order of the Veteran Empress, which, as he claims, she deserves. The end. I have just one question for you, Ethan. What's that? Is it basilisk or basilisk? 
tomato tomato dude <laughs> no it's tomato and, I, and apparently i would be using tomato and tomato interchangeably yeah yeah because <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs> i'm really not sure it's a little insight for the listeners because they're not going to get to hear any of that poor ethan struggled so much with that recap he hung in there so which is it Basilisk. Basilisk. But you really wanted to say... Well, as a bass player, I wanted it so badly to be Basilisk. Yeah. But it's not. It's not. It's Basilisk, (laughs) and it's Tomato. Oh, gosh. That's the way it is. All right. You have laid down the law, sir. (laughs) Okay. Observations. Uh, Fishbowl decoration. Yeah. I... I, I'm just going to bring this out now. When I watched this episode the first time, mm-hmm. I think I texted you. You did. I did. Because fishbowl decorations. Right. And when when we say the first time, I don't mean like last week when you were watching this for, like in preparation summer. for the show. Yeah. When you were watching Andromeda for the first for the time first ever. Time. Yeah. I, I don't know. I like it, and yet I laugh at it <laughs> at the same time. It's like, I, okay, we understand this is not a top shelf big budget production of any kind. Right, because if it was, they would have had like 10-gallon aquariums. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> Sea tanks, yeah. you know, sea aquariums. There mm-hmm. you go. Um, but yeah, they've got... And it's not just small tanks. It's fishbowls mm-hmm. with betas in them. <laughs> About one of the cheapest fish that you can buy. And that's just lining this... What it was it? An art gallery? Uh, a... a uh, town square community center i don't know what that was yeah they, they, they were, were there to be seen right mm-hmm. right but um fishbowl decorations yeah, I'm, I'm gonna use it just gonna leave it at that mm-hmm. one thing i am relieved about though it to, to, with this whole with this episode is i i always like to be able to have glimpses into the future and i feel like this is kind of one of those shows that we can do that um i don't know about you ethan but I very highly value a good night's sleep. And so I am relieved to know that 3,000 years into the future, we're still going to have feather pillows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about, the, the little exchange between the security forces at the beginning there. Uh-huh. Where were all those feathers coming from? <laughs> because they were just continuing to fall from the ceiling. It, I mean, it looked like a tween sum- slumber party. Or a snow globe. Uh, yeah. Very snow globe-esque. Yeah. But yeah, that's, cool yeah. Feathers. but you're absolutely right. Down feathers or, or whatever kind of feathers those yeah. were. Yeah. Yep. Probably whatever goose-like bird is, is native to, uh, to mock an alpha. Yeah. So. Absolutely. I mean, unless they import the geese. Who knows? They're yeah. probably genetic. They're GMOs. Probably. They're GMO yeah. geese from, yeah, somewhere. I bet they're really soft then. Designed for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, okay, so it's still a, a it's, it's a tried and true practice. Mm-hmm. We'll see it 3,000 years in the future, but you're right. You will not find a pillow as comfortable now as what you will find in those GMO geese 3,000 years in the future. I look forward to it. Absolutely. I hope I'm there. Because you and I both... Napping is a hobby. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy a good nap. Well, I don't care so much for naps, but I care a great deal for sleep. For sleep, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. I, I am a napping enthusiast, mm-hmm. but we're off topic now. <laughs> the water level's getting a little higher. Oh, right. Move on, move on. <laughs> now, when we interviewed Robert Hewitt Wolf, he mentioned uh, the cyberpunk influence 
that uh, had, was prevalent at the time when he was putting the show together. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like that that is absolutely the vibe that drives this this particular episode. And I felt like that from the first time that I watched it. It, it was validated when he mentioned it in the interview that we did with him. And now as we come back to it and I watch this episode again, I really do feel like I'm watching late nineties, early two thousands television because of that cyberpunk influence, Mm -hmm. because you know, we have Rami's wardrobe that I mentioned Mm -hmm. It's right out of the matrix. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) We have all the, the fighting, the, the, the jujitsu style fighting going on at Mm -hmm. the end, you know, the, the big square off between the two androids and everything. And it was just, there was such a heavy influence of that cyberpunk matrix, whatever else was going at the time. Um, that whole influence was just dominating this episode. And I thought it, I, it was dated on the one hand, but as a fan of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> of that of matrix, you know, as a fan of that type of genre, I don't know if you want to call it, I, man, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, oh, hey, did, did you remember? Harper has an infestation of Magog larvae. <laughs> yeah! I'm so happy they came back to that. Yeah, I was wondering. That's a thing that happened. And it's still happening. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I thought we had, forgot, I thought we had moved on. No, that's good. But they're still there. They're still there. Okay. Yeah, they're swimming around still. Okay. Coming back to something else that's been mentioned in-universe before. Did you notice? We got a Sparky Cola reference. Yeah. I thought that was right. fantastic. Becca talking about the Maru getting crushed like a Sparky mm-hmm. Cola can. I thought that was great. Yep. Uh, there there must not be any other competing soft drinks at the time. Well, 3,000 years in the future. Hold on. They, they, there's a precedent for that. Okay. Uh, when somebody asks you for a, w- what drink would you like, mm-hmm. what do you ask? You may, you may want a Pepsi or a Dr. Pepper. I will never want a Pepsi. Okay. <laughs> From my perspective, when I want a soft drink, when somebody uh-huh. says, would you like a soft drink or tea or water? I said, I like a Coke. Right. Well, we have Dr. Pepper. Well, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just say Coke. I, 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 right. I substitute Coke for any soft drink that's but, available. But also remember, you're from the South. This you're, is true. You're from one of the Southern states. And that is a predominant characteristic when referring to soft drinks. Everyone from the South calls it Coke. That's true. I call it soda. Why? Because it's just how it is. Yeah, it's just how it is. Okay, I call it soda. All right. You know. Okay. Because because when people say, "Would you like a soda?" Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm five years old again for some reason. I don't know why, <laughs> but it's just like it seems like a childish thing to say. Would uh-huh. you like a soda? Okay. Well, no, I want a Coke. I mean, I Give guess me a Coke. <laughs> based on based on your reasoning, then I mean, maybe saying Sparky Cola is just kind of one of those cultural, That's what I'm saying. regional things. So everyone from the Milky Way galaxy just calls all soft drinks Sparky Cola. Yeah. Okay. And then people from the the Triangulum Galaxy are like, what? <laughs> Nobody drinks that here. Oh, they mean swill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they mean swill. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. We'll get you a can We'll get of you a swill. swill. Can of swill. <laughs> okay. Um, so here's the thing. We usually trade back and forth on observations. I'm out. All I got is discussion, conversation Really? Stuff. That's it for you? So uh, I'm just going to let you have it. Just go ahead and unload. Okay. Let's just, let's just shotgun this right. thing. Uh, okay. Question. Right. Why can't the good guys save the day without causing massive damage to the planet they're trying to save? Is that in what do we learn? Do we need to put a pin in that and come back to it? No. 
Because, I mean, that's, yeah, that's that's not just Andromeda. You're right. That's everywhere. Okay. Didn't we just talk about that? Um, I kind of think we did. I mean, I mean, off air, like just in a conversation. We were, we were talking about Man of Steel. Oh, you mean one of our real life conversations. Yeah, yeah we actually talk in real life sometimes. That is true. Mm-hmm. And you're right. We did have that conversation. But anyway, so here's an example okay. in science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, they save the day, but not without causing horrible tectonic shifts in yeah. the planet. Yeah, but we didn't have to see any of it. That's true. They <laughs> they saved us the details. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, here we go. Uh, how tough must it have been for Gordon Michael Wolvett to remain limp and reactionless with Keith Hamilton Cobb manhandling you by the collar and screaming in your face at the top of his lungs? Do you remember that scene? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Gordon I, Michael Wolfett does a great job at just not reacting to that, and I don't think I could have done it. Well, he's a method actor, so okay. he probably really OD'd just for that scene. <laughs> okay. There's one way of thinking about it. I don't know. I, I, I'm thinking personally mm-hmm. I would need some depends. Okay. And, and, yeah. and then I would fill them, right. and then I would continue with the scene. <laughs> Looking for Ray Finkel and a clean pair of shorts. <laughs> clean pair of shorts. Exactly. Uh, good thing Rami was sent to meet Kim, because if it had been Tyr, how do you think that would have gone? Um, I'm guessing. I'm just, I don't have any basis for, for saying this. I think he probably would have just taken the information by force and then shot him in the face. Yeah. Considering how that's what he said he would do. Did he say that? I think he kind of did. I must have missed that. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how that would have worked out. So it's, he's lucky he got Rami there. (laughs) Oh, man. How much you want to bet Harper, uh, after he learned how things went underwater, how much you want to bet he got on it getting that EVA suit fixed? I know I wish I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like for you and me, it turns out it really didn't matter. No, And for good. them, it really didn't matter. We're, they're good, too. You know, uh, I think, you know, sometimes I, I believe in the philosophy that if you just ignore a problem, it'll just go away. Procrastination. Mm-hmm. That's a method. And, and sometimes I work better under pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, hologram. We, we talked a while back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dylan reacting by turning around in, in holographic form. Yeah. When when Dylan walks into the room. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's something odd going on there. Mm-hmm. We didn't really have an answer. But we have another instance now. Mm-hmm. What is it with the hologram of Agent Carter? He reacts yeah. to being hit by the Gauss bullet or whatever it was that Rami shoots him with. Right. He's just a hologram. On top of that, he's an android, so it's not like that big of a deal. It would have just passed right through him, and he would have kept on going just like Rami did. Okay, a couple of things. Okay. First of all, he has worked all these years so hard at seeming all too human, right? So he's going to try to do anything he you can. You said the title. <laughs> wow. Did you like that? You worked that, that in. in there. That's good. Um, so he's doing anything he can to try to emulate that appearance and that facade of, of humanity. So there's that. And then also... Did you see the the first Jurassic Park movie? Yes, I did. Okay, do you remember the scene when the Velociraptor jumps up through the ceiling tiles? Yes. What did you do? I jumped too. I jumped. Yeah. All right. I to this day, I jump. <laughs> do you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I see your point. He, he, the something was coming point. at him. You know. Yeah. Sure, it's not real to him because he's just a hologram in that moment. But behind that hologram, he's a real person. Well, 
No, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not, yeah. <laughs> so, but he's still got this thing, this projectile, this weapon, whatever, coming at him. So he's he's going to react, e- even if he does immediately realize it's stupid because it can't really hurt him. Yeah. Well, way to take a lighthearted observation that I had mm-hmm. and, and actually turn it into something realistic and you mm-hmm. know make an explanation for it's it. It's what I do. Yep. Uh, and finally, we had another Niner. Yeah. That's you, right, yes. You caught that too? Yes. Okay, great. Uh-huh. We're listening for it. No, Alpha. I wasn't listening for it, but it, it just stood <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah. Alpha 315 Niner. Yep. Rami there at the, uh, shutting the, uh, the overload of the core down. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I had for observations. Okay. Now that we've railroaded through those. All right, so now this is, at first I thought this was just going to be kind of a, a weird little observation, but then I thought about it more, and I was like, you know what? Maybe this is something about the universe, um, about the technology that we have, because this is not the first time that this has happened, that we've seen an AI, other AIs don't necessarily know that they're AIs. Why is that? Here's here's what I'm thinking. Okay, um, say you have two phones, and you turn on the Bluetooth for both of them. They recognize each other. Yeah. Okay. I, I see where you're going with this. And we yeah. know that these AI have have just incredible technology interfacing. I mean, Rami can can get that, and all of the information on that little drive. Just by holding it in her hand. Um, we know that they're able to communicate wirelessly. Mm-hmm. Why, does, why, does, why are they not just constantly are, scanning right. for another AI? Bear with me for a second. Okay. So, okay, so the android is supposed to act naturally, right? Okay, so how natural is it when you walk into a room and two androids are in the room, unbeknownst to each other, until they cross signals or, you know, handshake, whatever, you know... Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, that that interface. Uh, how natural is it for you to all of, a, all of a sudden be in the middle of a conversation? Well, I told her suddenly. Oh, wait a second! Somebody else in the room is an android too. That's not natural. Well, I mean, do they have to react <laughs> that way? Uh, I don't know. I mean, think about what Rami was doing through the whole first part of the episode. Did, did, did they have to fight jujitsu style? I mean, honestly, they could have just been writing virus programs in their heads and just sending them back and forth to each other. They could have fought that way. That probably would have been, yeah, that probably would have been better. Uh, not as good TV. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> it's just two, two robots standing there staring at each other, just sending viruses we back We just see forth. ones and zeros going back and forth. Yeah. yeah uh, but you know, think about what, what, what Rami was doing through the whole first part of the episode, though. She is... Walking, talking, conducting herself as a person, as a human, I should say. Not that androids aren't persons. But she's just just acting like a human, right? Right, right. Okay. But the whole time, she's communicating everything back to the Maru. Yes. She's on the screen with her on-screen persona, talking to the okay. crew of the Maru. She, okay. she, can, yeah, we she definitely, can do these two things at the same time. L- let me bring this up in here, too. Let's mix this into your conversation. All right. Because I have issues with this. Uh, it, this this wasn't a Rami episode, but I feel like we learned a lot about Rami. But everything that we've seen before about Rami being away from the ship, we didn't get any of that this time. Right? The way we have seen her react by being away from Andromeda, mm-hmm. separated from Andromeda, yep. we didn't see any of that this time. 
she she was insular. She was insulated. She functioned on her own as her own entity. And that's not how she's been portrayed, at least not in the first season. Mm-hmm. And this is really the first time we've been able to touch on it in the second season, I think. Uh, so something's happened. She's figured her programming out. Something has happened so that she can be self-contained. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think these androids are designed not to reach out and contact each other whenever they're within range, you know. It's not like they're pinging each other off their cell phone towers or whatever they use in the 3,000 years from, from now. So, yeah, they have to be self-contained. Yeah, be that as it may, I still think they should just be able to look at somebody and, and say... Android, not Android. Yeah. If Tyr can see the pupil dilation in the eye mm-hmm. and detect the heart rate and things like, and the perspiration and all of that, he's not Android. Right. So an Android should be able to look at a person and say, I'm seeing some... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless the programming is just that good. Yeah. Well, they should be able to hear the servo noises. I, well, that's still an unanswered question. Yeah. Why is it there? Why is it not there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but interestingly about uh, about Rami, though, is that once Kim finds out that she's an android, she doesn't suddenly start making servo noises. So this is true. Not all of them do that. Th- th- yeah, but didn't we in the first ep- first season? Didn't she make servo noises after Gabriel like fought with her, or am I just projecting? Yeah, I'm. I'm she has at times made, made servo different noises. android yeah. android type noises. Yeah, I think they've um, they've tried to get away from those. Okay, is kind of what I think, or maybe this part of her development as an android. Well, obviously, I think I think when we talked about it the last time, we determined that there was some sort of sound deadening mm-hmm. in the skin. Yeah, that's obviously not a valid theory. Okay, because she got shot through in several places. Right. And we still didn't hear the server noise. So it's not uh, an uh, endotherm... Uh, what is that? Subdural. Whatever that is. It's 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 not tied to that. Okay. So we still don't have an answer. Okay. <laughs> All right. After much discussion, we still, we don't, still don't have an answer. Yep. But one thing that we did find out, though, is that uh, we, we now know where they got the uh, shot for Rami in the title sequence. Yes. Yeah. A lot of slow motion, and that was one of them. We did get that. I, I, I do want to – I kind of want to come back to this. I know we're not going to get anywhere with it, but I do want to just bring it up because uh, I mentioned that Rami functioned uh, insular. She was self-contained on the planet because we know she was cut off from the Maru. We know she was cut off from Andromeda. Mm-hmm. So she couldn't interface with herself on the, the starship, and she did fine. Now – Interesting to note as well, Andromeda as the ship, she went into battle and didn't have the disorientation and whatnot that she did with A Rose in the Ashes. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Something's changed. Mm-hmm. Something is different so that they can now function. There's some fail-safes. There's some firewalls. Something's in place that's allowing them to function independently of each other. Well, or maybe she's just developing as an AI. Okay. I mean... The android part of that personality was was new anyway. Yeah. It was a new part that had been inserted into that... Even though every other ship was designed to already function with that. Yeah. Be that as it may, it was new. She wasn't used to it. They weren't used to her. You know? Yeah. 
Okay. I feel like we're kind of, you know, going over some past discussions here and and ultimately repeating ourselves. But <laughs> Yeah, well, that's going to happen because this is an AI show. <laughs> yes. This is yes. an AI-centric show. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's interesting, though, talking about the AI. I, I, I just, I, I know you're saying we're just beating this to death, but I want to bring this up just because of, it's something that I just watched like two days ago. Um, are you familiar with the the Twilight Zone episode, The Lonely? You may not know it just by the title, but not by title. It's no. uh, it was the episode where the prisoner was on the asteroid. That was his. That was his. Uh, his solitary confinement was is on this, an asteroid. Is this some, from the early sixties? This is a uh, fifty, fifty, fifty nine, sixty. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not. It's not ringing a bell. Okay. Well, anyway, what happens is the only human contact he has is once every three months a supply ship comes and delivers supplies, and the captain of this supply ship feels sorry for him and brings him a present. It's a robot woman. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Very realistic-looking um, personality, intelligence, everything like a human woman. Um, I'm assuming, as Data would say, fully functional. But anyway, uh, he completely rejects this robot woman and doesn't want to have anything to do with her until he pushes her down and is yelling at her, and then she turns back around and looks at him, and she's crying. Okay, mm. totally changes everything for him because now he realizes that even though she's a robot, she is intelligent, she is real, she's a person, and then he ends up falling in love with her. Mm-hmm. Okay, of course, it's a Twilight Zone, so it doesn't work out in the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, it's just kind of another one of these things. It, it, it's, I, I, ju- I only bring it up because it's something that we talk about anytime there's anything AI involved on on andromeda and then here it is again clear back on the twilight zone they're already talking about this you know is is it a real person do they have real emotions because i mean there's all this stuff with rami that we get into in this episode kim doesn't believe that there's any real essence to her she's just she's just a a a robot an android there's nothing else in there there's no emotion but then it's when she shows that sadness, that concern for her friends, and she gets emotional, that's when it changes. That's when it yeah. flips for Kim. So it's like it was the exact same thing that yeah. just happened in these two episodes. Yeah. You know, then I guess we're supposed to... Let me lay this on you. Okay. It's something that this show teaches us. Not We're not just talking about what we learn in this universe. Something that this show is teaching us. We will not be able to create artificial intelligence that we can just accept as perhaps not living in in a biological sense, but that we can accept as being sentient and, and having rights and coexisting in society, we won't reach that point until we answer this question ourselves. Are AI real or not? And really, it's just a matter of, can you make that leap in your mind? You and I can't make that leap. <laughs> And so we keep having this discussion. It, it's being portrayed as real and living and sentient. Mm-hmm. But we're not there yet. We haven't right. reached that that point in our minds. And I don't think society or inventors or people would be able to invent and, and, and create AI that were living 
until they get to that point where they could accept it. Yeah, I, 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 you're right. I mean, it's like sci- science fiction is trying to get us to make that leap. I mean, we have it in the Twilight Zone episode that I mentioned. We had it in 1988, was it, in Measure of a Man, yeah. Star Trek Gen- Next yeah. Generation episode. And it, it's just continued on. We have it now in Andromeda. That, yeah, and that's, that's my point. Yeah. We're still having to have this conversation it, because we're not there. You know, we, we can't invent anything remotely close enough to being acceptable mm-hmm. as, as something sentient. Okay. As something that you can put on a pedestal and say, this is our creation, but it is just as good in thinking ability and reasoning ability as a living human being. And, and we, we can't bridge that gap yet. And, well, what's the reason we can't bridge it? Is, is it because we just can't accept it or just because we haven't seen it yet? I, I think it is both. Mm-hmm. It is both. We haven't. We don't have the ability to invent it yet ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're not. We're nowhere close to inventing the same type of computing power that matches or or can even rival that of the human brain. Mm-hmm. And then there's the fact that we can't do that, but we're so wrapped up in our own reasoning ability and thinking ability. It's we're almost racist. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> against a mm-hmm. race that doesn't exist and can't exist yet, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, but that's even in in all three of these examples that I just that I just brought up, the Twilight Zone episode, Next Generation and, and Andromeda, it's not like this acceptance is universal. There's still the ones who who don't accept it. Right. Maybe have to be brought around. I mean, you know, it, measure of a man there was that that doctor who wanted to take data apart. There right. was Pulaski who was just a <laughs> she was awful a carbon chauvinist through the whole season. <laughs> yeah, and then they let her go. Yep. And then you know, in Andromeda, you've got Tyr, um, who doesn't really regard AI as being individuals as people, uh, as well as I mean, all these this whole mocking Alpha. I mean, they're they're all just the planet of AI haters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we saw Kim's reaction. Um, you know, of course, of course, Rami doesn't care anything about him. She's just going there to to complete her objective. She's just going there to do what AI do. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm not ready to make that leap yet either. <laughs> yeah, and until we can, it, AI, I don't think is a real possibility. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it will become a. Uh, self-fulfilling prophecy because the prophecy right now is that AI will dominate mankind. And I think because of mankind's short-sightedness and inability to recognize AI as being something that could exist and stand beside mankind, they'll ultimately create AI and then AI will turn on us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, man will cease to exist. Right. Okay, well, let's let's move on from that right now because unfortunately, that is not the last of the AI conversation in Drive Back the Night or even in this episode. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And the water is up to my waist now. Yeah, so. so we yeah, let's let's move on. All right. So, I want to bring up Trance briefly okay. here. Okay. I mean, yeah. she she's in it very little, but okay. So, my question to you is, did Trance's tail did it contain the sweet and innocent part of her personality? Hmm. 
I don't know, because you think she's not sweet and innocent anymore? Well, I'm, I'm thinking what we're seeing now is a very rapid change. They're very rapidly in these <laughs> last two episodes now. Uh-huh. Uh, they're trying to change her character into something more serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, with this episode, she's got the whole military jargon going. Right. Which Dylan's eating it up. Yeah. He's liking that. But it's this isn't the same trance. Right. And it, and it happens post-tail. Yeah. Immediately after she loses the tail. I'm not really saying that that's where her personality point was. But, I mean, it's it just, you know, she loses the tail, and now we're changing her into something more serious and more down to business. And uh, I don't know. I, I I miss the sweet, innocent trance. Okay. Well, I mean, maybe losing the, the tail simply just taught her something. Just to have a different outlook on things. Bad things can happen. Yeah. And a bad thing happened to her. So this has sobered her up? Uh, maybe. Okay. I mean, even though she can't get <laughs> drunk, <laughs> this has sobered <laughs> This has sobered her up. Um, I was going to allude to that, but nice way to beat me to it. No, no, no problem. Um, you know, like in this one, it's not like she just comes in and she's just military. And it's just all of a sudden, boom, let's write trance differently. Uh, well, yeah, they are. And I, I'm going to, let me, let, okay, let go, me. Okay, go, go. It doesn't go unnoticed by the rest of the cast. Right. It's not like it's just a, okay, um, our focus groups don't like trance this way, so boom, we're going to make her this way. Because, right. Because in our discussion with Robert Hewitt-Wolf, we, he we know that yes. that's what happened. Yes. Focus groups didn't like the cute, lovable, sweet trance, so they... Stupid okay. people. Well, yeah. People are just awful. <laughs> people and androids yes those are the ones that i don't like yeah okay but you know it it, we i I don't know i'm just kind of thinking that she's she's making a change she has made a choice in within herself that she's going to change and be a more productive part of the crew i mean i didn't really expect to to see her manning the station as she was in the first place i mean i know she does at times yeah but, but it's not, she, it's not but really But she doesn't use the jargon. No. She's manned the station, and it's always like, well, the blue dot is heading toward the red dot. And it's uh-huh. just like, oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. That's, that's gone. Yeah. That's gone. And it's like, now that the tail is gone, it, the, the tail is very much the demarcation of sweet, innocent trance that we have loved watching up to this point. And now it's she, she is becoming something different because of unfortunate audience feedback Mm -hmm. and and it's disappointing Mm -hmm. but uh you're right you're right they are treating it with respect they aren't they aren't just saying all right here's new trance get used to it you're right i can't imagine they would ever do something like that (laughs) okay (laughs) but but yeah so we so we have So we have Dylan and Becca reacting to that. So yeah, we get yeah they they see that there's something happening here, mm-hmm. but nobody discusses right. it. Nobody just dis- nobody says trance is everything okay? <laughs> Do you need some ibuprofen for your <laughs> your mm-hmm. your stub? You know, or something or anything like that. You mm-hmm. know, it's just oh wow, this is interesting. She's different now. Yeah. Okay. So this episode also brought up some some questions for me about Slipstream. Now, we've talked about Slipstream before, about how you, you just gave me a crazy look. Okay. <laughs> wasn't thinking about Slipstream for this episode, but well, go ahead. There yeah. wasn't that much Slipstream. No. But um, 
You know, we've talked before about how we don't really understand exactly how Slipstream works, and in our talking with some of the writers, it turns out they don't either. Um, but it it was my understanding that there were there were slip points throughout the universe. Okay. Uh, especially throughout the three galaxies that had been that were known by the Vedrans and their empire. Yeah. And that you could use these slip points to enter and exit out of the slipstream. But in this episode, they make it seem like you can just open up a slip portal anywhere. Okay. This is something I'd thought about on my own. And I don't think we've ever discussed it. But perfect. Perfect segue to be able to open this discussion. You're right. There are points where you can open slip space and get into it and travel that path easily. But as we discussed in our Season 1 wrap-up show, uh, as as some of the listeners had let us know, Slipstream works well in those lanes that are well-traveled. And it's easy to get in, navigate, and then get out. But the reality is you can open up a slip point anywhere. It just may not necessarily be easier to travel through that point that you open up. Does that make sense? No. Okay. I don't know. Kind of. Maybe. I don't know. It's just... Well, I, I'm just saying, it all comes back to... It, it It has to come down to whatever the plot needs. Okay. And they needed to open slip points to negate the point singularity projectors. Mm-hmm. So, you can open slip points anywhere you need them. To. Right. Well, then, I mean, could they not have just known that, you know, okay, so many million kilometers this way, there is a known slip point. So, just head toward that, they already know that they can outrun the PSPs. So No, no, no. They had to open those points up to save the planet. The PSPs were headed to the planet. You can't move the planet. you got to open something up in front to, to, to pull the point singularity projectiles mm. into those slip points. Okay. That's how they had to save the planet. The unfortunate thing is, is that there was a, there was a side effect. There's a cost for doing that, okay. which is kind of cool. <laughs> Unless you're on the planet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. But you don't get something for nothing. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of the point. Maybe. Okay, so then so then the other question is, okay, um thank you. You've cleared all that up for me. Really? I, I think. Have I? I think so, yeah. <laughs> um but now the question is where do those PSP bombs go? That's a very good question. Right? Because that's, that that thing's going to end up somewhere, right? Some, it's going to open up somewhere. Some poor freighter captain's going to be flying along the slipstream and just pow! They're <laughs> right into it. You know? I mean, I, I, they, they kind of a little bit explained it, but I don't know if I understood. I mean, does the slipstream just eat those, those PSP bombs or whatever those are? Hello, NSA. <laughs> Nice reference. Um, I think this comes back to the fact that we don't know enough about slipstream or slip space mm-hmm. and how it functions. So, yeah, that's that's a very valid point. Where do those PSPs go once they're in the slip space? Right. A- and, yeah, do they come out somewhere else? Or do they just wander the... They can't just wander. I mean, if an AI can't navigate, mm-hmm. can't get... Th- oh, well, hold on. Rami did aimlessly wander through slip space. Yeah. 
So I guess potentially these PS PSPs could just be floating around out there in slip space. Mm-hmm. That's effectively like mining your own pathway, mm-hmm. though. I mean, yeah, but anything that goes into Slipstream, I mean, it's not like the when when Beck is piloting the Andromeda through Slipstream, she doesn't she does have to to open a portal, right? Mm-hmm. You go in. Do you have to hit a button to open an exit portal, or do you just does it just spit you out, and oh, okay. and you know where it's going to spit you out because you have the organic intelligence right. to right. be able to, to to do that. So so the, really the variable that we have to know is does slip space spit you out, or do you have to open a portal to exit? Right. If you have to orp- open a portal to exit, these PSPs are never getting out. Unless they follow someone out. True. That could happen. <laughs> um, but ultimately, we, we don't know what that is. Yeah. So we don't know if they're still in there or not. I'm just saying, I'm not sure this was such a great idea. <laughs> you, know, you say this may come back to bite, <laughs> bite us somehow? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying, I don't know if they thought that out too well. Mm-hmm. And just, just leaving them in there? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what if they're just... Okay, say the say the the portal opens closes up behind them, and then all those uh, PSP things projectiles. Yeah, yeah, they're just they're just sitting there. Yeah, and they're like now they have nowhere to go. <laughs> their their guidance has been turned off, so now it's now it's off. Now somebody years down the road is coming through and sees it. Oh, hey, look! It looks like there's been a a portal opened right there. Let's see where it goes, and they open it up. Well, then those things just come right back out and say, "Oh, there's the planet." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's finish the job that got started thirty years ago. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Unfortunate. Well, at, at this point where we sit right here, you know, waist deep in water, mm-hmm. that's a very real possibility that that could happen. That that Mobius may still be in trouble. Okay. They just don't know it yet. Okay. Uh, speaking of Mobius mm-hmm. and Mach and Alpha, why w- why was Alpha attacking Mobius? Did did we get an explanation as to why Mobius was being attacked? Well, because they had a big gun and they wanted to use it. It is yeah. No, I'm really not sure. Okay, that- so I, no, I'm not alone in this. At some point. I, I was thinking, I must have missed where they explained why Mobius was being attacked. Because we've been to Mobius. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a planet full of AI. Mm-hmm. There might be AI somewhere on the planet. But it, it wasn't as if they were possessed by AI or being controlled by AI. Mm-hmm. Seemed like they were sem- semi-autonomous people. Uh, they were joining the, the, the Commonwealth. Well, maybe that's it. So the Mach and Alphans are attacking Mobius because they joined the Commonwealth. Maybe. Even though their real problem is they just, they hate AI. Yeah, I mean, they, that's how their problem began, is that they hate AI. But now they have this technology from the Magog. Uh, the, the Andromeda crew, Dylan and Becca, they, they determine among themselves that they must have allied themselves with the Magog, at least temporarily, so that they'll be the last ones to be picked off. Yeah. Uh, so maybe they're just maybe it's just a, a show of strength. 
Okay. Don't mess with us, and don't join the Commonwealth. Okay. Because we'll go all Alderaan on you. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I have to accept that, because there's nothing else that I can okay. go with. You know, you had mentioned earlier about... This is kind of a tier thing. You had mentioned earlier about the uh, the AI there on, on Machin Alpha uh, using AI logic. Yeah. And so basically anyone who is less needed in any sort of a, a, a catastrophe or situation, they're the first ones to go. Right. Uh, again, this is not a new concept. But, you know, the AI are not the only ones that are guilty of this. No, this is true. Tier very much uses AI logic. It's or could we say that AI use Nietzschean logic? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when, it, when the choice has to be made between him or Harper, he uses all of these determining factors against Harper. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's going to die anyway because he has these Magog larvae. He's the one that put himself in this situation by ODing on his, on his meds. You know, just, just all these things that this is all Harper's fault. He's the one that didn't fix the suits. Yeah. That that sounds like something that... Uh, what that what was it you said a week or two ago? Sorry about you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, very cut and dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, no mercy. Mm-hmm. No, uh, no desire to try and pull the both of them through this. Mm-hmm. At least not initially. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Very cold logic. Mm-hmm. Very Vulcan-like. You know... If you don't mind, I've, since we're talking about tier, there were some things I kind of wanted to mention, about, kind of along the same lines. I, I have some, yeah, I have a little bit to touch on with tier as well. Okay, because he kind of he kind of makes a full circle, or no, he makes a half circle. Yes, he makes half. <laughs> he does a one eighty. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, because at, at the beginning of this episode, you remember we already talked about, you know, he his method for getting this information from. Kim would be to just take it by force and then shoot him in the face. Yeah. Okay. Uh, very, very self-motivated. I mean, he prides himself on all of his decisions are self-motivated. They're yeah. they're very, uh, well, we would call them selfish. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's he he just wants to preserve and better himself no matter the cost. Right. Then, at the end of this episode, it seems like he changes all that because he is willing to put himself through this very, very risky procedure. You know, the chances are stacked against him that he's going to, he's going to get out of this because he wants to put this suit on Harper. Honestly, though, I don't think it's that big of an issue. Okay. I mean, we know he lives through it. Mm -hmm. We get to see that at the end of the episode. I'm just wondering if it was, he wanted the easy, easiest way out. Mm-hmm. But in the end, he realized, yeah, I, I will probably survive this. And then it was just... It wasn't that big of a sacrifice for him. Mm-hmm. I almost have to believe that that's what went through his mind. It could be. Um, I can't see him at any point thinking, I really want the little man to live. <laughs> and I'm mm-hmm. willing to put myself out there so that he has that slimmest of chances mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of wondering if he really was even caring about Harper at all because yeah. here's here, the situation is Rev Bim will not help him right unless they include Harper 
And so I think Tyr knows that unless he gets Rev Bim on board with him, he's going down. And that's going to be it for Tyr Anasazi. Yeah. So while it seems on the outside and on the surface, and maybe even to Rev and definitely to Harper, that he made this huge gesture to to risk himself in order to save Harper... I don't know. Part of me says that wasn't it at all. No, he, he was. He was going. He he was saying, "Okay, Rev, I will do what you're saying because that's the only way that I'm going to get what I which, want." Yeah. No, I think you're. I think you're spot on with that assessment. I really do. Okay. I would agree with. I would agree with where you're going with that reasoning. Yeah. Because I kind of had the, the same thought mm-hmm. while I was watching it as well, and, and I just in. In addition to that, I, I just want to say, it looks like Tyr and Rev just really do not work well together. Mm-hmm. Except that they kind of do. <laughs> you know, it's it's like they 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 want to be at odds with each other, but it, they they do work well together. Mm-hmm. Well, they're definitely polar opposites. Yes, and I think that's that polarity that allows them to be able to make decisions, whether it's for survival or out of compassion mm-hmm. e- either or it allows them to make decisions that get them through any situation and that was kind of cool i liked watching that mm-hmm. so i've got a thing about carter okay coming back to the ai thing okay all right so we're supposed to believe that this rogue ai is responsible for atrocities against uh, living beings um not that androids aren't right uh, he's among the defeated artificial intelligences that are being driven away from the planet, but he decides to go ahead and stay behind in order to, as he puts it, atone for past sins. Mm-hmm. Every, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I have a hard time with this okay. as a as a plot point, as a reason for him staying behind. I I, I just I can't buy it. I can't buy it. And AI is probably even more brutally logical than even Nietzschean standards. Because Nietzscheans have passion and perhaps some love in there mixed in somewhere. Whoa, whoa, are you saying that androids don't have passion and love? That's kind of what I'm getting at. Do we need to go back and watch Starcross? Okay. <laughs> no, I don't think we do. Um, we're past that. Okay. Honestly, though, I, I, I think it would have... It would have been a better story, and here I am. I'm just I'm rewriting the story in my mind. It would have been a much more believable premise mm-hmm. for this AI staying behind if it knew about the Magog somehow ahead of time, and that it stayed behind in order to help the Machin Alpha people to destroy others around them, and then ultimately themselves with Magog technology. Mm-hmm. I would have believed that before I would have believed an AI wanted to stay behind to, quote, atone for sins. Right. Well, maybe he wasn't there to atone for anything. Maybe he was left behind as a spy. That's not what he said, though. No, it's not what he said. But AI can lie. You're right. I mean, except for data. (laughs) Different universe. Yeah. They can do that here. Doesn't apply. Doesn't apply here. Okay, all right. Yeah, so you're... Okay, all right. So there you go. So maybe we, we just got plain old lied to. Yeah. 
and we all fell for it. Yep. But you know what? It doesn't matter because in the end, he Rami, got, Rami blew him up. He got blowed up. Yep. Exactly. Okay. All right. So all's well. Okay. You know, we we kind of joked earlier about uh, about Harper. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. He's infested with Magog. <laughs> He's larva. got Magog eggs. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, it, it does come back now. Yeah, that's something that we're still dealing with, and uh, and he's got this 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 medication that he's supposed to take. Yeah, he's been directed to take it twice a day, and and he's just sitting there just. Yeah, it, and I love the fact that it doesn't. They don't come and revisit this, and him somehow be okay with it. Mm-hmm. There's still some instability with him, mm-hmm. and and it's portrayed in the fact that he one ODs on his drug, two he's. In all of his lines that he has before he ultimately becomes incapacitated, you can tell he's unsettled. Mm-hmm. He is he is unsettled. He's dealing with physical and mental repercussions of this these things that are still in him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was great is the fact that they didn't forget that this character has this life and death situation that he's just having to live with. Mm-hmm. Here's what I don't like. Okay, I don't like this drug dispenser okay <laughs> it's just this thing that hangs around his neck and anytime he gets the the urge he can just put it in his mouth and just just take a drag off of it and he, he gets this drug even though rev tell tells him he's only what did he say like two times a day mm-hmm. is all he's supposed to have yeah then why is it on a dispenser that's hanging around his neck that he can Easily take any time he yeah. wants? Yeah, you're, no, you, it's a valid point. You know, that should be like in his locker. And <laughs> he goes in, when he wakes up in the morning, okay, take a hit off of it. Yeah. Before he goes to bed at night, take another one. You know, w- why is it hanging around his neck? No, I would say that's a valid observation. Okay. Yeah. All right. But yeah, it, it has to be around his neck on camera so that we're reminded you can't see them squirming around, mm-hmm. but there's something there. Well, I mean, can he just be... He does it anyway, just walking around and going, ah. <laughs> yeah, you're you know? right. Just kind of right. doubles over for a minute and go, ow. <laughs> you're passing gas? No, it's the lavar- larva. Lavar. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a bad English right there. <laughs> I thought you were talking about LeVar Burton. No, I, I, well, that was the thought that went through my mind. Uh, and then, you know... Uh, one last comment for me is uh, Rev Bim. He has a line says that the the divine has a twisted sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't think that is unique just to the Andromeda universe. I think that is very real. You could say that the divine has a twisted sense of humor. Look at the duck billed platypus. <laughs> What's wrong with that? That's <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's not twisted. That's just a good sense of humor. <laughs> All right. Well, the sense of humor is the part that I'm focusing okay, on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to the. Yeah, because it's getting up toward my neck. Yeah. This is. I'm good, but I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm concerned about you. You don't have the suit on yet. Right. No, I know. I need to get that on. So. All right. So the quote we have for this episode: "Worlds governed by artificial intelligence often learned a hard lesson: logic doesn't care." That is a true statement. <laughs> I don't know how you want to. I don't know how you want to approach that. Yeah, I don't have anything for that. Okay. Just that, that that is a true statement. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you've ever watched any sci-fi ever, 
then you already know this. Did I not say that in my summary? Yeah, yeah. You Gene did. Roddenberry and every other sci-fi mm-hmm. writer has has alluded to this fact. Mm-hmm. You let an AI take over, there's going to be complications. Right. You know what we should do sometime, maybe maybe for the next episode or something, or the next time we have an AI-centric episode? Okay. We should we should make a list. A list on one side of good AI that we've seen in in uh, sci-fi, and a list of bad AI that we've seen in sci-fi. <laughs> uh, It'd be interesting to see which list is longer. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So I, I I can think of one good, nothing else good. Only one I can put in the the pro list. Everything else is con. But that's like you said. That's con was not for an AI. <laughs> no. Oh, oh. No. Okay. All right. Yeah, so easy quote to figure out. Um, yes, we agree. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No discussion here. <laughs> <laughs> AI is bad. <laughs> For now. All right. So AI was bad. Don't know if the episode was bad. It could have been good. I'm going to let you decide. Well, like I said, um, this is one that last summer when I was first getting myself introduced to Andromeda mm-hmm. and finally coming around to the idea of doing the show – I texted you saying fishbowls. Yeah. I think that was all of the text. Okay. Was fishbowls. <laughs> and, and just the fact that, that it occurred to me, those are fishbowls. Mm-hmm. And yet I am being entertained by this. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a little cheesy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's low budget. And yet, if that's the only really bad thing I can pick out of this... This is a great episode. There's action. Uh, it reminds me of, like I said earlier, uh, late 90s, early 2000s television, which I happen to love. We had the whole cyberpunk thing, the whole Matrix thing. Uh, it was a little over the top with the slow motion there during the fight sequence. And, you know, of course, you, you mentioned the uh, the scene with Rami, the slow motion with the hair blowing in the wind and everything. And, and that's just, oh, gosh, you, you, you look at it and you just kind of grimace at it. But you know what? Take all those things and set those aside. And I actually really enjoyed this episode. It's an AI episode. And everybody understands and accepts that AI is bad. And that's the way it is 3,000 years in the future, too. If you let it play out the way it's described here on, on, on Mach and Alpha, it, things went badly. There's hope, though. The, the populace rose up against the AI. And they, they you know, they... They won. Mm-hmm. They had to use Magog technology to get there, but they won. So there was hope for them. Good on them. Um, problem is now they're picking on their neighbors. Mm-hmm. That's not such a good thing. But it created, uh, you know, it created a foil for our uh, crew to get involved in, and it wasn't all the crew on the ship only. You know, trying to work this out. We got to go on site. Got to got to go on locations. Uh, it, it took place outside the ship. And, like I said, there was action, there was some backstory, there was some exposition, we got to learn a little bit about our characters, and I think this is a great episode. I actually really enjoyed this one. So, that's where I stand on it. Okay. You know, uh, a lot of times, when we get to this part of the discussion, I talk about how uh, how certain shows kind of take me back when I saw this for the first time, back when it first aired. 
and how so many of these shows are just so great because I remember them from that time and it takes me back and it's just, yeah. Um, this was not one of those. I did not remember this episode. <laughs> okay. And then, you know, but it's okay because uh, a couple of years ago I started watching Andromeda and I watched it all the way through. And so even the ones that I didn't remember from then, I still got to rewatch and re-enjoy them. And so I so when we talk about these episodes that I didn't remember from the first time I watched them, I always remember them from the second time I watched them. Mm-hmm. This wasn't one of those episodes. Wow. Okay. I did not remember this I I don't know if if I just skipped it. <laughs> if I if I missed it, you know, like when I was queuing them up and I just didn't I absolutely did not remember this episode at all. Wow. Okay. So they got a swarm ship out of the deal. I know. And that's that's kind of one of the things I was going to get to is because you know for for some reason or another this was not a memorable episode to me. I really think I didn't see it. Okay, that's the only explanation I can come up with. <laughs> okay, um, it's not it's not that I loved the episode, and and think that it's something that I had to have remembered if I had seen it, mm-hmm. because honestly. I, I wasn't as crazy about this episode as you were. Okay. But I do think there's a lot of interesting things that come out of this episode. And maybe part of it is because I'm so over the AI stuff. Yeah. You may not be able to tell because I talk about it every single time it comes up. But it, it, yeah, it's, get, it's almost getting to the point where it just bugs me to death. <laughs> All of these AI questions. and uh, Okay. So when you have an episode like that, it's kind of automatically just going to kind of make me go... Uh, here we go. Yeah. But it's not like AI was the only thing that was going on in this episode. So ye- I, I'm going to go with it was okay. It, to me, it wasn't a great episode like you, like you feel it is. Well, I'm not saying it's a great episode. I'm just saying I enjoyed it. Okay. Okay. I mean, it was, it was very entertaining. Okay. Well, then I'm not going to say that I did not enjoy it. Okay. Okay. I did enjoy it. I don't know if it was very entertaining to me. Let, let's let's step out for just a second. Okay. There are some really great first season episodes that when we see them, even if we haven't, I haven't seen the series all the way through, mm-hmm. I can look at that episode and I can say, that's a great episode. There's a lot to, to pull out of that that I'm going to have to remember later on. Mm-hmm. Right? Have we gotten one of those in season two yet? Honestly, I don't think that we have. Other than Broken Hammer had a lot of sin- significant mm-hmm. changes to the show and things to set up future episodes, perhaps. But honestly, I don't think we've gotten a great episode uh, in season two yet, like we've gotten in season one. Um, yes and no. There, we should have. But we ended is, up is, not. Is this one of those writer, this is kind of what, yeah, directors this is, of the show type things? There, yeah, this is where there's a divergence in the timelines. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Um, and I don't want to get too far ahead. But yeah, there have been already through this second season things that were supposed to have been very, very important that eventually get left behind. Okay. Uh, this whole deal with with the Magog ship. Uh. Since I don't remember this episode at all, I mean, you know, that, that's kind of one of those things that 
that this was Magog a, shit that doesn't was, come up again? That was a surprise to me. Oh, uh, man. I, I don't remember them using any intel from, from studying this Magog ship. Wow. Doesn't mean that they didn't. Okay. You know? I mean, they throw around so much technical jargon just back and forth yeah. all the time. And, you know, when I watched this through the first time, I wasn't looking at the transcripts, you know? <laughs> right. So I was just taking it uh, 42 minutes at a time. Yes. And so anyway, I, you know, maybe that does come back up. I kind of hope it does because that's awesome that they have this Magog ship. Yeah. They have um, the key to the technology. Yeah, well, they've got uh, they've got Mobius on board, and they're actually dealing with Mobius. Yeah, we yeah. see we see the Commonwealth working. Yes, can we say that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, that's the, yeah. We got we got a, a bully in the neighborhood. What can the Commonwealth do for you? Yeah. Well, we're seeing in Mobius's case, mm-hmm. it can wreck your planet, but <laughs> at least you're not destroyed. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm almost kind of talking myself out of what I said before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... I'm just saying, it, at face value, we've gotten some worse episodes already in this second season. This one isn't one of them. I actually enjoyed sitting through these through this multiple watches. You think we've had worse episodes this season? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I kind of think so. Okay. I, I would have to sit and think about them specifically because we're what five, six episodes, seven episodes into uh, the second season, right? Six, six. Uh, seems like two and three and maybe four. I can't really remember the titles, so maybe that says something about them. But yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think those were very strong episodes. Well, that was exit strategies, a heart for falsehood framed. And uh, Last Call at the Broken Hammer. Okay, Last Call at Broken Hammer. That is significant. Uh, Wait, no, that wasn't. No, no, no. Pitiless is Pitiless the Sun. Is that the was sun. the fourth one. Yeah. Pitiless is the Sun was a very good episode. Mm-hmm. I think we both agreed. Right. We, we enjoyed that one a lot because of what we learned about trance. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, not so much. Uh, Heart for Falsehood Framed. Yeah. <sighs> I didn't, I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed watching this one. Yeah, it was better than A Heart for Falsehood Framed. I'll give you that one. But still, uh, I guess I guess at this point I'd have to say, you know, not, not the best. Definitely not the worst. It was okay. It wasn't bad. It was pretty good. I liked it. Yeah, this was a good one. There's <laughs> kind of a swing going on there. It, yeah, it really okay. is. I'm having a hard time deciding. It, the longer we talk about it, the more I like it. Okay. okay. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm just I'm just wanting the approval because I know that we're about to drown here, and we need to get out. It's up to our necks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to, we need an exit strategy here. I think so. Nice reference. I uh, tried. So anyway, if uh, if you listeners out there would like to get a hold of us and let us know what you think of this episode, where does it rank for you? What is the best and worst episode of season two so far? Ethan, where could they get a hold of us? Well, they can do so at drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. That's right, and we're also on the social media on Twitter and Facebook using the handle at AndromedaPod on both of those locations. We're on Podbean, www.podbean.com. AndromedaSeries.Podbean.com That's where our home is. That's where you can find all of our episodes that we have released to this point. And you can find us on iTunes. And if you listen to us there, please subscribe and give us stars and a review. We'd certainly appreciate it. And in addition, you can find Drive Back the Night and Andromeda Series Podcast at 
poddirectory.com. And once again, thank you to our good friend Tim Kimmerly for lending us his voice for the beginning of the show for the opening quote. We are an Age of Geek production. That's www.ageofgeek.com. And uh, before we shut this down, try to drain this baby out, do you have anything uh, you wanted to say? Uh, actually, yeah, uh, I do, Ryan. Okay. okay. In vino veritas. Oh, okay. Age quidagis. Credat judaeus appella non ego. Juventus doctorum magister. In pace requiescat. Wow, very good, Ethan. You've been studying your Latin, haven't you? Oh, no, just been watching a bit of Tombstone. Oh, right. Okay. I love that scene, though. Well, anyway, keep it up. Keep on studying your Latin. And listeners, too, keep up on your Latin, because next week we've got some more Latin as we discuss the episode Una, Una Salus Victus. Basilisk. Basilisks. I think it's basilisk. The basilisk. Basilisk. The basilisk. Basilisk. Dang it.